Tony, can you come up with Cheryl? You're not getting out of it that easy. <laughs> uh, a lot of you probably knew, but some of you may not, is uh, Tony and Cheryl. Uh, they're moving to Tennessee. Uh, pretty quick here now, huh? Now, praise God. Love you guys. <laughs> Love you. Mm. Love both of you guys so much. Praise God. Uh, why don't you guys step over here more? Uh, Tony and Cheryl have been part of a fellowship for, man, how many years has it been? 21 years. 21 years. It goes so fast. And I think it started when we were at another building over on uh, Sinaloa before here. Yeah, for 21 years. And uh, they've just been amazing. And we love you guys. And I asked the Lord to help me not get emotional, you know. And, uh, but the good thing is it's not, it's not goodbye. It's a change of distance. The good news is uh, they're still a big part of the ministry. Uh, Tony's going to still be working for Good Fight Ministries full time uh, because he does so many things remotely. Uh, <laughs> makes you happy. Uh, happy too? Yeah. Well, makes Tony happy, I think, right? <laughs> He's the one that asked me, he goes, can I at least still work for Good Fight? And even if it's not full time, I know if you can do full time work, we're still going to have you full time. And the plan is, prayerfully, they're praying about it, is to start a Blessed Hope live stream there. And would you guys be able to have a worship leader? You guys need a worship? Oh, you're a worship leader. That's how it work out, you know? <laughs> so they're really connected still, but they're expanding the Lord's work. And that's always hard. In the book of Acts, you know, the disciples were all together. They were just excited about Jesus. They were growing together in the faith, the day of Pentecost. And they were supposed to go, you know, to Judea and Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. They kind of hung out and did ministry there, and they weren't really obeying the Great Commission. But then the Lord, in his sovereignty, allowed persecution to get them to spread out. One of the things he used it is to spread out and share the gospel. So about four months ago, I really started persecuting Tony. And, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> that was Newsom. <laughs> that was, that was Newsom. <laughs> hey, have you seen what's going on? It was in Knoxville or where? Never mind. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> I know. We have all, every state's got its problems. But, uh, but we're on the front lines, right? And Tony's still going to, and Cheryl's still going to be on the front lines over there. A lot of work to do. So, uh, Tony, Cheryl, we're going to miss you guys so much. And uh, praise God. Uh, you can step up. There's a mic here if you want to say anything, bro. And Cheryl, too. <laughs> hey, it does work, Jonathan. <laughs> Get to use the mic. I love you guys. It's been such a blessing here. And uh, it's bittersweet. I've I don't even have the words to say, but gosh, 21 years of ministry here. I've seen people come and go, and now we're, coming and and now we're the ones coming and going. <laughs> I never thought that I'd say that. But yeah, we plan on still being a part of what's going on here. I'll still be connected. You guys can always reach out to me on my cell phone, questions, prayers, prayer requests. What? <laughs> she's coaching me back here with us. <laughs> but yeah, I love you guys. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard not seeing everybody. I see everybody when I'm here at the church every day. Mary, we don't have our long conversations, how we fix the world with our conversations. We've got, we've got it all figured out every day we talk about it. <laughs> but I love you guys. This is hard, so be blessed. You're in good hands. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you guys so much. Love you so much. It's
It's hard. Uh, it's going to be hard. You guys are like some of our best friends, so it's going to be tough. But it doesn't mean we need to talk on the phone every day, though, Tony. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, uh, we're going to definitely be in touch. And like I said, Jack and Sue, Jack was a elder here for several years and came here, I don't know, 25 years or so. And he retired and, and they moved to Tennessee. Tony's not retiring for a few, quite a few years, hopefully. Uh, but they continue ministry up there. In fact, we went up there and uh, stayed at their house, Lisa and I, for a few days and had an amazing time. And, and Tony was actually there then and they opened their barn and uh, we had a bunch of worship there, you know, and so forth. And Jack's just sharing the word and promoting the gospel and, and doing the work of evangelist. And he, you know, in a, in a choked up kind of way, just shared, you know, the impact the fellowships had on him. And he still, him and Sue, he and Sue both are still part of it in spirit, but they're doing the work out there. So it's neat to see God do those things, you know. Uh, but it's tough, you know. Tony's been one of the most steady, you know, uh, ministers of the gospel here for such a long period of time. And, you know, trials come, things come, and, you know, Tony and Cheryl have been steady and, uh, and you know, always having our backs, you know, and uh, caring for the flock, you know, even through rough times, being loyal to Jesus, loyal to the gospel, loyal to the body of Christ, loving the bride, loving their, their church family. And it really blessed my heart. So we're going to miss you guys big time, uh, <laughs> uh, but I'm so glad you're still, you know, I'm still your boss, quote unquote. If you ask Tony, he says, I'm the easiest boss he ever had because I just encourage, you know. Uh, well, don't let that go to your head, guys. Sometimes I have to crack the whip, but Tony, man, it might be slow down, Tony. I think my admonitions to Tony through the years was not, you need to get this done. It was like, make sure you're spending time with the wife. Make sure you're getting enough rest. Because I try to bring people on that are just zealous for Jesus. And Tony was def is definitely one of those guys. That's why I have peace about him being full-time over in Tennessee. And not sitting around eating bonbons. And Cheryl, don't let that happen either. Amen. <laughs> I won't. All right. Praise God. The Lord is good. Amen. All right. Let's get into his word together. Praise God. Turn to Revelation chapter 22. Uh, we are at uh, the end of Revelation, the last chapter. I told you guys I'm so excited to be at the last chapter because it's such a powerful chapter, but also it's the end of a book that we've spent some time in. And it took longer than we thought because the last few years, because of COVID and everything, I started bringing a lot of devotional messages in and application and things of that nature, uh, practical things along with Revelation because, uh, uh, you know, it was kind of weird. People, you know, sometimes we'd come here and because of COVID, you know, people could still come. We didn't say you could come and we'd or we'd preach in the parking lot. We did different things, but uh, it actually took longer because we actually got away from the book of Revelation off and on for quite a bit. But we've been try trying to keep a, a steadier hand on it just to finish the book, and I'm super, super excited. How many of you are looking forward to getting into the book of James and being challenged to live a godly life? Amen. I'm looking so forward to the book of James. I've, I've got, I don't know how many commentaries, <laughs> a ton, over a dozen easy, and I've, been, and I've taught through the book of James a long time ago. Uh, but I don't want to go back to those old messages. I want everything to be super fresh. Uh, and there'd be a lot of uh, things in that book that's super practical. It's like the book of Proverbs for the New Testament. It's what it is, pretty much, you know. And it's such a powerful book. But you have to really want to follow Jesus because it's going to challenge your mouth. It's going to challenge your steps. It's going to challenge your heart. It's going to challenge everything, you know. So I'm excited about going to the book of James after the book of Revelation. 
But right now, Revelation chapter 22, we're looking at what's called the blessed hope of Christ's return. And we had a couple messages on it, but I want to talk about a different aspect of his coming uh, in the latter part of that verse that we haven't yet addressed. And in light of all these things we've been seeing, and it looks so dismal and so sad, but then in Revelation 19, you see the second coming of Christ on his white horse to defeat the Antichrist, his armies, amen, to establish his kingdom. Revelation chapter 20, you have him establishing his thousand-year reign, which is different than the eternal kingdom. It's kind of the beginning of the eternal kingdom, amen? And when he establishes his reign, we'll reign with him for a thousand years, but it says in Revelation 21 and 22 that we'll reign with him forever and ever. Quite amazing, quite uh, exciting, but it starts with his coming. And in verse 21, we read, and praise God, he brings us back to the fact that he's coming back. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me. So we focus more on his coming. We focus on what does it mean by his coming quickly, and uh, how is that biblical, and how does that square with uh, it's been 2,000 years. And when you, I'm not going to go back to it, but go read the, get the message, and you'll really appreciate it because it makes a lot of sense. And people respond afterwards like, wow, that makes perfect sense. By the way, speaking of responding, I did a message Wednesday night. If you didn't hear it, it was on the role of women uh, in First uh, Timothy chapter 2, uh, verse 15. And uh, the response was different people, uh, you know, uh, Nico's parents, uh, you know, the Walkers, uh, John Heber just came up to me. Different people came up to me, were so encouraged by that message and were provoked to have more and more thoughts about, wow, because, and... and uh, a couple of them were like, a few of them, actually a couple different couples were like, wow, it makes so much sense because it's a very debated verse, what it means. But when you see what it means, it blows you away because it shows you as a woman how radical you are in the image of God and the purpose he has for you. So I really encourage you to get that. I look, I point out like 10 or so different views on that. I don't know how many views I point out. And I show you what's the biblical view, and I prove it from the book of, of Timothy, the pastoral epistles, first and second Timothy. But sisters, it shows you that you are in a spiritual war, that Satan doesn't want you to understand the role that you're supposed to play. So I really encourage you, because I love you, to grab first Timothy 2.15 from last Wednesday and prayerfully listen to that. Uh, I think you'll be really encouraged and be grateful that God has, a, you know, a purpose for all of us in such a radical way. So when we're looking at verse 12, behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me. I want to look at the fact that there is going to be rewarding going on to render every man, to render to every man according to what he has what? He has done. Everybody's going to be rewarded according to what they have done. According to your works. Now, as an evangelical, conservative, born-again, blood-bought, Jesus-loving, spirit-filled Christian, you might be like, wait, we're saved by grace through faith. I thought we're not going to be judged because we're saved by God's grace and, and we're not saved by works. By grace are we saved through faith. Amen. That not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Amen. He didn't save us, it says, by the works of righteousness that we have done, amen, but by his mercy, his grace. So we're, we're saved by grace through trusting Jesus, Amen. But that doesn't mean that we're not rewarded according to our works. If you're trusting Jesus, you are not hellbound. You are saved if you're truly trusting Christ, putting your faith in Christ. Amen? And that's a good thing. Amen? But we will all stand before the, day of God, uh, the, the beam of seat of God. We'll all stand before him and be judged as far as what we get 
regard to rewards or what we don't get and what is taken away. It spells that out in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and various other passages, which I had already for today. And I looked at my message, and I said, this is one of those messages where I'm going to try to squeeze a whole bunch of this stuff in because it's so important that uh, it's, I don't want to leave people like, like in the headlights at the end. I want you to, so I thought I'm going to slow down a little bit. This is slowing down for me, by the way. I'm going to slow down a little bit and uh, preach the second one next week because it's all on rewards. You know, you know how journalists, they learn, you know, you know, you know, who, what, where, when, why, or whatever, all those, the five whys. And I threw an H in there, how, you know? Uh, but that's, that's next week. I'm really excited about that study, and I've been excited about that study. But I continue to seek the Lord, uh, and the more I sought the Lord about this, and I, I literally, at least poor Lisa, you know, we at five in the morning, four in the morning, three in the morning. Oh, she'll see me turn on the light, scribble things down, turn off the light, go back to bed. Or I wake her up, I'm sorry, but she's got those black, you know, that, that shield on, so I don't wake her up all the time, you know? But I'm up in the morning a lot just praying, laying in my bed. I'm trying to sleep. I'm trying to sleep a lot of times. But a lot of times I'm happy I can't fall asleep because it's a palace for me of praise. And I get to seek the Lord. And that's where I, I got up, I don't know, two or three times at least and scribbled different points down. And I thought, man, I've got too much. But this is stuff that there's, there's, there's a lot that gets yielded when you study. But there's a lot that gets yielded to you when you're preparing for message when you're praying. Amen. And it's the stuff that I'm praying about in light of my studies, in light of my search of the scriptures that I, I feel is, you know, I'm crying out to the Lord and, and it just hits you in the heart and it really ministers to you. And I feel like this will minister to others too. But I also wanted to give this message in light of where we're at in the world right now, because when you see Jesus coming back, it's when the world is incredibly wicked at the time, right? And we live in a country where we're in a democratic republic, Somebody keeps saying democracy. Well, yeah, it's a democracy, but it's a democratic republic. There's certain laws we're supposed to be following. You know, we're not under the perfect monarchy. It's not a perfect government, but it's better than most all the governments that have been here in the past in many respects. And that is if there were God-fearing people, as one president said, which we're losing that. Otherwise, you can vote everybody's hair turn green or everybody have one child eventually, you know, uh, in, in a pure democracy. But it's supposed to be a democratic republic. And we're, we're losing that. It's kind of interesting to me. And I want to talk about Christ coming in light of those things and how the midterms are coming up in just a few days. Okay? Uh, and I do believe, personally, I can't give you a scripture that says thou shalt vote and say, I'm not saying it's a sin not to vote, but I believe it's important since we're in a democratic republic that, and we can have an influence. Uh, if we all sat around and say, oh, my vote doesn't matter, though, yeah, then you lose everything, you know? Uh, but if people rise up and say, my vote could add to it, that could be very, very helpful. And right now, the deck is stacked against those who want what's right, who want lower crime, right? And all these different things, which is one of the things that pertains to us as Christians the most, right? All true Christians are conservative when it comes to not wanting people killing each other in crime, right? You know, not wanting babies in the womb murdered in mass. But what's crazy right now, you can see Angel, what's crazy right now is, it's right now it's like, well, if you vote conservative, right? You're gonna, they're going to try to destroy the democracy. Are Republicans conservatives? I'm not, I'm not saying be a Republican, but I'm saying are conservatives trying to destroy the democracy? You know, it's so weird. I thought democracy was voting, right? But I thought, wow, isn't that interesting? Authoritarianism, destroy democracy. And I thought, wait a minute, destroying democracy? Where's the authoritarianism come from? What party in the last couple years? Think of COVID, right? 
Think of the kids not allowed to go to school and everything else and things they're admitting that some of them are admitting were wrong, you know. Think of authoritarianism in trying to add Washington, D.C., D.C., the city as a state. That's that, to, to ruin democracy to where the deck is stacked. Or think of many liberals wanting to stack the Supreme Court with more justices because they don't like it being five, four more conservatives than liberals. And they want to add more justices. That is destroying democracy. That is, that is authoritarianism, amen? That's, 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 that's destroying. But the thing is, it's all stacked against us, okay? When I say us as believers, I don't consider myself, okay, here's the liberals, here are the conservatives, I'm a conservative. I consider myself a Christian first, amen? It just so happens that a lot of conservative values I agree with, but I disagree with a lot of things that are conservative too. When Donald Trump was around, I, I had to be honest from the heart. As a person, you know, I had a hard time with him. As policies, they blew away Hillary's, okay? Because he stood against killing babies in the womb. I'm like, well, that's important to me, you know? And I didn't tell you how to vote, and I just say vote your conscience as a Christian, amen? But you have the major, you not only have, they don't only have the Congress, they only have the presidency, they don't only have the Senate, you know? They have ABC, NBC, CBS, all the, all the major news, net, all the major networks, right? Uh, they have what? Uh, even the, what's the public radio, right? National Public Radio, M NPR, right? And then you also have the te television. What's that? That's uh, PBS, right? That's government run, but it's run by liberals with our tax money. It's all rigged. I know it. it is. It's like, wow. The universities, many of them are run, most of them, right? Are run by old hippies that hate God, right? You know, and, and people like that. And it's funny because, you know what? You go to Google, you see a big story that's like doesn't look good because of, it, it exposes liberals. And you type it in Google, and it's hard to find that story anywhere. You just type in, I type in, I'm a researcher, man. I'll type in keywords in Google, and I'm like, everything comes up, and it's things that come up refuting what you're looking for often. Now you go to DuckDuckGo, and all of a sudden it's boom, 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 boom. Find what you're looking for more often. It's rigged. But guess what? Jesus is coming back. Amen. And he's ultimately in control. And he's allowing what is happening to take place at this time. Amen. So we need to keep our eyes in the big picture and not get discouraged and lift up our eyes. So it says, behold, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me. You will be rewarded if you are a Christian for the good things that you do in the name of Jesus to God's glory. That should get you excited. Because on judgment day, I mean, how many people, they look forward to their graduation, or they look forward to their retirement or whatever. The main thing you should be looking forward to is Christ coming. We've talked about that lately. But what we haven't talked about so much is you need to look forward to his coming in light of the fact that he's going to reward you. And that's going to be huge. Now, I have to be honest. This has been one of the stickiest parts of Scripture for me to get excited about. Rewards. Because I am so happy just to be saved. And just being in God's presence forever is, I'm just like, Pfft. rewards, it's like, I don't get up thinking, what can I do today to get rewards in heaven? I never, I've never got up, what can I do to get more rewards? I never think like that. Even to this day, I don't think like that. And that's because my thinking is wrong to a degree. I confess that before you. 
Because when I go and see those scriptures, if his, I'm supposed to have the mind of Christ, right? And he wants, he wants us to be excited about rewards, right? So my, I, I've changed a bit, but I still need to grow in this area, okay? About being excited about rewards. So my tendency when I see rewards, it's like, praise you for your grace, Lord, you know? No, it's okay. I was like, wait a minute. If you know what's going and what's coming, you wouldn't say, oh, it's okay, because I start to look at the scripture and search it. And I've done studies on rewards, and I've only taught on rewards probably a couple times in the 30 plus years I've taught at Blessed Hope. You know? You'd be hard pressed to find more than a couple, unless I just forgetting messages on, on rewards, maybe two or three. One a decade's not very good, okay? But here I am in a passage, I said, Lord, I need to talk about this. And next week, I'm going to get into the who, where, when, what, and why, and how of it. Because, and I've got this study I've been working on that's just like, wow, this is powerful when you look at it. And Father knows best, amen? And he has rewards for very, very important reasons, which we'll talk about in the course of these messages, specifically next one. But right now, I want to get into the fact that we are all going to stand before God. And we will be rewarded one way or another. Uh, and we want to make sure we know the Lord. Uh, and it's critical that we understand that we are all going to be judged for what we've done. A lot of times Christians have a mistaken notion that, yeah, well, we're going to stand before God, but we don't get judged at all for what we've done because we've been forgiven of everything. That's all for the non-believers. Because in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, it says that, you know, that the, 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 you know, the sea and Hades will give up its dead and everybody will be resurrected. All the wicked at the great white throne judgment. Anyone's name, and, be, and, the other, and the book of life will be opened. And the other books will be opened, which is presumed by many scholars, commentators, to be their, their, their deeds. And it says anyone's name that's not written in the book of life, they're, you know, cast a lot. They're cast in the lake of fire. And it's pretty heavy. And we, we're not at that judgment where we're cast in the lake of fire because we, we trust Jesus. The Bible says, Jesus said, rejoice because your names are written where? Your names are written in heaven, amen? So we ought to be rejoicing. And we're not going to be at the great way throw judgment other than maybe as spectators. But that doesn't mean that we won't be judged for our works. We'll also be judged for our works. But as it says in 1 Corinthians 3, even if you lose things because you didn't do things, you'll still be saved, but so as by fire, your soul will still be saved as a believer, amen? That's pretty heavy. Now, this, I pray, it's been my prayer that the Lord would bear upon you the importance of what he's saying here and that we would amend our lives in light of what he says. And in Luke chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, Jesus says, there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed. No secrets. Think you have secrets? Oh, no one's going to ever find out about this. It's pretty heavy. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. And what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the rooftops. Wow. You know that saying? Whatever happens in Vegas, what? Stays in Vegas? Is that biblical? The world says so many dumb, unbiblical things. Whatever happens in Vegas, whether it's illicit drug deals, whether it's murders, whether it's, you know, guys going to nudie places or visiting prostitutes or, you know, taking 
the, the payment for mortgage and putting it in the machine or whatever it is. I'm not saying, the Bible doesn't ever say thou shalt not gamble, but the Bible does say to be a good steward of your money, right? So if you are, you know, like, otherwise we couldn't even go on a fishing trip and bet who's going to get the biggest fish. We'd be a bunch of hypocrites. So we don't, but there's no verse that says you can't gamble, but you got to be very good, you got to be a good steward with your money. So you got to be careful, amen? But you can't go to Vegas and say, man, you know, my wife doesn't know, but our whole savings was drained $20,000 because I kept thinking I'm going to win it back, you know? But she won't find out. Yes, well, she finds out. You might want to rather face God than her at one point, you know. But, uh, but what goes on in Vegas, as I always say, doesn't stay in Vegas. It gets shouted from the rooftops. Amen? That's the reality. So, Romans 14.10, speaking of believers, going before the Bema seat, which we'll talk about in the next message. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all... We will all stand before God's judgment seat. Every one of us will stand before the judgment seat of God. In 1 Corinthians 3.3, Paul said, Every man's work shall be made manifest. He's talking to Christians in the context of Christians being judged. And we'll explore this text in more depth with other verses around it next time. Because it's something we need to know about. And I thought, Lord, I love to go verse by verse through Scripture. You know why? Because then I'm preaching the Word of God. Amen? And I like to say, what's this text actually saying? And my prayer before the Lord over and over again, Lord, may this be the best message they could possibly hear on this. You know, I'm not competing with other pastors and stuff, but I want it to be the best it could possibly be. And I hope other pastors are praying that too, that it could be the best and most edifying message they could hear. But I preach the word. Amen? It's the word that changes us. Jesus prayed, Father, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. Paul said, preach the word. Amen? So it's the word that changes us. It says our lives, our hearts are effectually changed by the word of God. And it's sharper than a two-edged sword, it says as well. Amen. So what does God's word say? It convicts us. Amen. The Holy Spirit inspired the word. He breathed the word. Right? And when we hear the word, we're hearing the words of the spirit. And he speaks to our hearts. How many sometimes when I'm reading the word, you get convicted? Amen. Anybody convicted already a little bit, maybe? Okay. Anybody thinking of stopping something when they just read that text? Well, if you're involved in something bad, he says, for we all, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.13, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day will declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. It's going to be looking at all our works, good and bad. Romans 2.16, Paul writes, and this is a message I proclaim that the day is coming when God, through Jesus Christ, will judge everyone's secret life. Wow. That's pretty crazy, huh? Let me read that one again. No, no, please don't. No, I need to. It's going to help you. Okay. And this is a message I proclaim, Paul says, 2.16 of Romans, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. I encourage you to not be a Pharisee. By way of application, don't be a Pharisee. Don't have a secret life. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't come to church and being around Christians acting one way, but being at home and being wicked to the people that you're around or living a wicked lifestyle. If you're married, don't be treating your wife poorly. Don't be treating your wife wickedly, I can say, but that's not enough. Yeah, don't, of course don't treat your wife, your wife wickedly, but don't treat her poorly, amen? 
If you're a man, your husband, bless her, love her, pray for her, encourage her, amen? Be a blessing to your children, amen? Love them, hold them, care for them, encourage them. I know it's harder when you get older. My kids are older, and I was just telling my grandkids, man, I can't, I can't have my kids sit in my lap like they used to when they were younger and stuff. I still give them kisses, and poor Jojo, I think I was like, I, I, for a long time, he let me hold his hand. I don't know how many years it was, but it was like you were 19, Joe, when you first thought that. No, just kidding. No. But, but longer than most kids, it's because he has such a big heart. And I was like, and one day it didn't happen anymore. Put my hand out. And I was like, oh, a dagger to the heart, you know. You know. Well, he does have a mustache now, you know. No, he never had a mustache. I think he tried for a little bit. But <laughs> hair doesn't grow on steel, right, Jojo? So, uh. He'd probably grow one. I don't know where I'm going with this story. Anyway. <laughs> man, you're racking up the bucks. It used to be $5 in illustration uh, if, if I use them in illustration. But it's crazy because we would, uh, it, it gets tough. But I think I saw him. He came over the other Wednesday night after Bible study, you know. And I gave him a hug, loved him. So I don't know when that was. Then I just saw him again. He was sitting on the couch. And I reached over and gave him a kiss on the top of the head. And I thought, okay, he's probably like, man. But you just love your kids, amen? But I want my secret life to be a beautiful life. That's the main life you need to focus on, amen? How you treat those who are closest to you is what I think will be radically judged. Who are you? Who do you choose to be? Well, you don't know my, and you don't know her, you don't know him. Hey, that doesn't, we have no excuse. We can't control other people's sinfulness, but we can control our reactions to their sinfulness if they're sinful, Amen? And Joe always gives me hugs back, and he loves me too, so it's, it's great. And Holly and Heather, I love them all, you know. But it's, it's crazy because uh, I, I want my, my kids know me. My wife knows me. And they know that I'm, a, I'm an open book, you know. My office is not locked. I, most, of my office, most of my work is at home. Come in any time, and we spend time together. But I'm encouraging you because I don't know everybody's private life, make sure you're living for Jesus at home, in your car, in your room, at work. Amen? Make sure that you recognize that you have a goal, that you're going to stand before the Lord, and you want as clean a slate as possible when you face judgment. Amen? You don't want to lose a ton of rewards because you were careless with your walk. Every word we speak, Jesus said, that's Matthew chapter 12. He said, every idle word will come into judgment. Wow. That's heavy, isn't it? So, man, those of you who are claiming to be Christians, but you cuss like a sailor, stop cussing like a sailor. Stop speak, start speaking like a Christian. Amen? The Bible says we're supposed to speak the truth in love. In love, not with destructive words. We're supposed to seek to build people up in the faith and not tear them down. Amen? We're, not called, we're called not to be gossips, but we're called to be encouragers. Amen? We're not called, the Bible says, pronounces judgment against those who cause division among the brethren, Proverbs chapter 6. But Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Amen? You want to be blessed. You want to make sure you're encouraging your brothers in Jesus and loving one another. Amen? So it's important, it's vital that we get this down and we understand that everything's going to be judged. He's going to judge our secret lives. And I encourage you in the name of Jesus because I love you. If you're not who you are here in private and it doesn't match and you're being a hypocrite, 
you need to repent. You need to say, God, change my heart. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He paid for whatever sins you've committed, amen? And he's just a prayer way of saying, God, have mercy on me. You know what? I've been terrible, you know? I've been doing this or I've been doing that. And, and it would, if my wife knew or my, my kids knew or my brothers and sisters knew, it would be a disgrace. He wants to give you strength to repent, amen? And give you grace to repent. And the forgiveness has already been offered to you through what Christ did on the cross. The payment's already been paid for your judgment. You simply need to ask God for forgiveness, amen? And wouldn't you like, come on guys, you might say, man, it's too late. I've done too many bad things, Joe, and you got me. I can't believe I came today and I'm listening by podcast and or you were listening, come back, you know, not podcast, but live stream. Love you guys. We love our, our, live, our, our live stream brothers and sisters, and, and I'll speak into the future. Tony and Cheryl, praise the Lord, at Tennessee. Okay, but anyway, guess what? You and I, we are all going to stand before God and give an account. The good news is this, that we can be totally forgiven, and I would rather have the last chapters of my life be good, right? I say this in counseling all the time. I counsel people, not only from here, I counsel people from other churches all the time. Lisa and I just did that. We counsel people because they want to be biblically counseled. And sometimes their churches don't offer it. And I, one thing I say to people where it looks like, man, there's just so much bad blood and some things happen, I encourage them to give them hope. And I said, man, don't you want the last chapters of your life to be good? And they can be good. Don't you want your children to remember you that, wow, at the end, dad was a good dad or mom was a great mom, Amen. They love the Lord. They were there for us. Or kids, young people, don't wait until you're older right now. Today is the day to be right with God. Amen? Now listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. Because he says, I come quickly. My reward is with me. Amen? So he says, don't judge anything before it's time. That doesn't mean don't make judgment like, should I stop at this red light or not? No, we've got to make judgments all the time. Jesus said, judge righteous judgment. But he's talking about assessing someone's life because Paul was talking about them pitting different teachers against each other, saying, well, I like, I like Apollos, and I like, I like Paul, I like Peter. He's saying, quit it. He said, you know what? Uh, God's going to judge us and judge nothing before his time. And he says this, therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness. Catch that? He would bring to light what is hidden in darkness. And Paul says that Apollos and Peter and myself, we're all on the same team. God just uses us all in different ways. And he says, don't judge us before, or judge anything before it's time. And he says, but God's, at the point in time, Jesus is going to judge, and he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness. And we'll expose, and we'll listen to this, we'll expose the motives of the heart. Aren't you glad that God will, I actually like that it says he'll expose the motives of the heart. Because sometimes, have you ever made a mistake saying things that came out wrong? But your motive was in the right place, your heart was in the right place. Anybody ever do that? My wife does that all the time. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I actually just say me, but I thought that would be playful. I, I, there's been times where I've said something like, you know, but we get in that, and, you know. Uh, <laughs> we all do that where it's like, no, no, this is what I mean to say, you know. You know? No, you look great in that dress. It's just your stocking, you know. No, just kidding. <laughs> you always got to be careful there. My wife and I were just teasing with another couple because she's so honest. And when she became a Christian, I discipled her. And we talked a lot about honesty and so forth. She was a non-believer for years. And, and we talked about just, uh, we got to speak the truth in love between ourselves, all our relationships, and be sincere followers of Christ. And just, and man, took her out. To, she's a young pastor's wife, just saved a few years, I guess, at that time, maybe four or five. I don't know how, how many of you probably saved 
three, four years by then, Lisa. And we'd go over to a restaurant, or not a restaurant, we'd go over to someone's house to eat. And some of you know about this? Oh, and, and my wife is a picky eater. I mean, this, this stuff's not in my notes. I better stay with my notes. I'm going to get in trouble, man. But uh, she's such a picky eater. I've shared this before. It's so funny. And it might be a great meal, but she's picky at times, you know? And, uh, and invariably almost the sister that made it. So how do you like it? Because she's maybe not talking much about the food. Yeah, who said that? It's interesting. Jim knows her. It's interesting. <laughs> and we drive home. I go, baby, I'm so glad you're honest. <laughs> uh, next house, we're eating. How do you like it? Very interesting. You know? <laughs> oh, Lord. I'm like, maybe we just have people come over our house because we, we used to do that a lot when we had more time and had everybody over. The church grew. And I said, baby, you've got to be honest, you know? But what if you asked me how a dress fit you? And I just said, it's interesting, you know? <laughs> so, no, I didn't say that to her. I would not dare say that to her. <laughs> uh, unless we're playing, of course, baby. Uh, but I said, try to find something on the plate. If there's three or four different things, try to find something you like and say, the green beans are really good. <laughs> that might be better, maybe not, I don't know. You know, but we're glad you're being honest. That's great. So we want to speak the truth in love. Amen. And that's really hard to do sometimes. I.e., how many of you guys make interesting food, according to my wife, you know, uh, which I love everything. So <laughs> uh, except that one where they go. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but we got to speak the truth in love. But the Lord looks at our motives. And I love my, life, my, my wife's motives because none of us are perfect, but her heart is to glorify the Lord, her heart's to bless her brothers and sisters. And everybody who knows Lisa will know that she has a, such a dear heart, you know? And I, I just, she came up the other day and I was just like, I don't know, man, I should stick to my notes, man. What am I doing here? But I said, hi, beautiful lady or something like that. And I said, you look so elegant or whatever. And she's oh, so elegant to me, Lisa. That's a word that I use to describe her sometimes when I think about her, is there's an elegancy about her, you know? Not perfect, no one's perfect, you know? But but, and what I love is her, you know, of course she has her times. I have my times. We all have our times, right? But her heart's to glorify the Lord. Her heart's for people to know Jesus. Her heart's for his brothers and sisters to know the Lord and be blessed. Amen? And, and that's awesome because I feel that she'll do very good. Uh, if, we, if we go by salvation, none of us would be saved. Amen? But you go by being rewarded according to your works, I believe she's going to be very blessed because she, she's had a harder time than I have because her physical... Uh, her body for the years with Lyme disease and everything else, and she just keeps trucking. You know, we didn't know. I mean, some, she just kept trucking. She always said, I'm on your, I'm on your coattails. You know, you got to slow down. And I'd slow down to a degree, and we still go. But uh, now she's feeling a lot better. But for a lot of years, I thought, wow, it's amazing to me how much she kept trucking when she had Lyme disease and was debilitated. She just kept going forward in Jesus, you know. And she could have just said, hey, you know what? I'm no longer going to work for Blessed Hope as your secretary. Um, she never ever said that. I'm never, I, you know, she has said she's bore through it. And I think she's going to get, uh, be blessed because her motives are to glorify the Lord. We all need to have motives that glorify the Lord. Amen. Because he's going to judge the motives of our hearts. And, and you have to look at yourself and say, okay, my goal is to stand before God. And you can't change anything that happened in the past. So you want to make sure that that's covered and under the blood and forgiven. Amen. You'll make sure whatever you've done is forgiven under the blood of Christ. Amen cast as far as the east is from the west. But whatever you're doing now, 
And since you've been a believer too, you know, those things you'll suffer reward or loss, which we'll get into more uh, next week. But the Bible says, prepare to meet your God. And he's going to see everything beyond the physical. He sees with x-ray, his x-ray vision, man, all the things that happen in the heart. In fact, go to Zechariah or go to uh, Ecclesiastes. Go to Ecclesiastes, the very last chapter. By the way, when we finish 1 Timothy on Wednesday nights, on Wednesdays, I'm going to finish the book of Ecclesiastes. I think it was when COVID and everything hit uh, just before that. We got out of that for a bit. And, uh, but in Ecclesiastes, it's, it's a trip because uh, he wants us, it, there's some really strong uh, warnings there. And in Ecclesiastes, we're warned in chapter 12 at the very end. And by the way, at the beginning of chapter 12, he says to serve the Lord in your youth. Amen? To serve the Lord in your youth. So this applies to everybody. And then in, at the end of chapter 12, Sorry, man. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Pages are sticking together here. He says that the conclusion of everything in verse 13, the conclusion when all has been heard is fear God. When all has been heard, when everything's over, fear God. Do you really fear God? Can you say you fear God? I, I'm letting you know, I've had times where I preach on the fear of God and I've had a, a gentleman come up to me and say that's not for the New Testament times even though part of my message is showing that it's for today and that the fear of God, it says is everlasting. And the angel that preached the everlasting gospel revelation says, starts with fear God. And Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And Jesus said, don't fear man, he can destroy the body, but fear God, he can destroy body and soul in hell. Amen. And I give those kinds of verses. I come up, one gentleman, more than once came up. I, well, that's not for today anymore. I'm like, bro, I just gave you all kinds of New Testament text. We need to make sure we fear the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom, amen? But he says this, for God will bring every, I'm sorry, verse 13, the conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments. Because this applies to who? Every person. Why does it apply to every person? Look at verse 14. For God will bring what? Every act to judgment. Everything which is hidden, which is, uh, whether it is what? good or evil. Brothers and sisters, man, we're going to all stand before God. So fear him, because the fear of the Lord, as it says in Job, is to turn away from evil, amen? If you fear God and recognize, man, this is serious stuff. And even the believer's works are going to go through the fire of God and be judged. That's really, really heavy when you think about it. Now, it's going to be harder and harder and harder for you to live a godly life as things get darker and darker. Did not Jesus say that in the last days, lawlessness would what? It would increase, Matthew 24. Did not Paul say in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that know this, that in latter times, there will be what? Difficult times, perilous times. He said evil men will wax worse and worse, going from bad to worse. And then he said in that context, that's verse 13, but verse 12, he said, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So if you're going to live God in Christ Jesus, you're going to suffer persecution. It's going to be worth it because you're going to be racking up awards and re I should say rewards. And, but it's important that we recognize uh, last time we got together, we talked about how it was going to be, Jesus said in the last days, it would be like the days of Noah, really horrible, and the days of what, who? Lot. 
you know, sodomy, homosexuality, everything just becoming so accepted. Are we on? Has that been happening at all? Yeah. Okay. In fact, those who, you know, engage in those kinds of activities used to be in the closet, but now, now they're out and they're parading and the Christians are the ones in the closet. Things have radically changed. But because we know Jesus is coming, does that mean we stick our heads in the sand? No, we witness, man. Jesus said, occupy till I come. So when he tells us how to occupy, it's by living for him, living a godly life, being lights on a hill, preaching the gospel, amen? And trying to be salt of the earth, influencing for righteousness the wickedness around us, amen? And if we lived in a communist country and you couldn't vote or anything or to say like a you know under Stalin you know because even Putin gets elected you know uh, but that's with air quotes if you're listening by audio uh, but we have a, an opportunity to affect our government to a degree and I thought man but there's two extremes one extreme is the dominionist those who say we're going to take over the world for Jesus. You have the Rick Warren types who say, we're going to join and make a world government together with the go join government and join religion and commerce together. Because he says, you need three legs to have a stool. So Christians, we need to unite with you know, business and commerce and government and bring, that's part of his peace plan. Does the Bible talk about us doing a peace plan as Christians with the world? That sounds like the Antichrist system, you know, the whore of Babylon, false peace, false religion, all that, you know. Uh, and then you have the seven mountain mandate. You know, you have many leaders now saying, we're supposed to take over the military for Christ. We're supposed to take over the school systems for Christ. We're supposed to take it all over and we're going to rule as Christians. That's not biblical. I don't have time to get into that, but those of you who know the Bible, you know that's totally unbiblical. Okay. That's an extreme. But because people have that extreme, that doesn't mean that you don't, you know, speak up and be light and speak to the state prophetically. You know, what did the prophets do? They spoke God's truth to kings, to princes, to leaders, to diplomats. Amen? So we speak God's truth still. Amen? We occupy till Jesus comes. We know the kingdom doesn't come until the king of kings comes. Amen? We know that we don't have peace until the prince of peace comes. Amen? But we preach Jesus as ambassadors because we can have peace in our hearts in our fellowships with other believers, amen? amen? Now, it's interesting because the other extreme is the Jehovah's Witnesses. They look at Romans. You read Romans 14, it talks about, you know, obeying the laws of the land unless they contradict Scripture, of course. Paul's not saying unless they contradict Scripture there, but he says that elsewhere. I mean, in the book of Acts, they were whipped because they preached the gospel, and they said, don't go back and preach again. They got flogged, and the apostles said, you know what? They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the Lord. And they went right back and preached the gospel and said, better obey man than God. Amen. That's why many of us didn't take the jab and get vaccinated. If that was your conviction, I, I didn't. My wife didn't. We didn't judge anybody who did and say you're condemned because it's between you and the Lord. There's not a scripture that, you know, some people want to get, but guess what? The government was like, you know, or we didn't stop meeting, okay? We met in different places. 
We came in here, only a few showed up in here because it was a big scare at the beginning, but we still preached the gospel. Preached the gospel in the parking lot, preached the gospel in my house. We never stopped meeting during that time. Now, we always opened up for fellowship. We did a lot of live streaming things, but everybody was welcome, you know? So it's kind of interesting uh, that when you see how things are getting, the Jehovah's Witnesses won't even vote, okay? Now, I'm not saying if you personally decide not to vote that you're a bad person, you're totally misunderstand. If that's your conviction, that's between you and God, because I can't give you a scripture that says thou shalt vote. But, uh, I, I, but as a pastor, you know, as a Christian pastor, I would encourage you to pray, pray about voting, man, because the liberals get out there and they vote for all kinds of things that bring a lot, a lot of the rotten fruit that we see around us today. In fact, it's interesting. I... Uh, I just thought about the crime wave because Jesus said that wickedness, lawlessness would increase. And Paul said terrible times would come. And the love of many would grow cold, Paul said. So I thought, wow, be like the days of Lot and days of Noah as we talked about. I thought, wow, Lord, it is getting so bad out there. I started thinking about, I started writing them down. The various things that have lent themselves to the increase of lawlessness that's all over with people getting killed left and right in different places. And when you start, and, and when I put my list together, I'm like, it was like six or seven things. I'm like, oh, Lord, God. And these, it's policies often that throw gas on the fire. Wicked, evil policies enacted by wicked legislatures and politicians. It blows me away. I'm like, this is crazy. This looks like it's totally on purpose, not by accident. You know, and like Rick Warren said, you need, a bird needs two wings to fly. You need a right wing and you need the left wing. No, it's not the same, Rick, as a bird. We don't need the left wing, the left to, to fly correctly. Well, you need somebody promoting abortion and somebody not promoting abortion. You need to bring balance. No, wrong. Okay. Uh, so number uh, seven things that have increased, I think six at least, maybe seven, that have increased the crimes in our country that, you know, because Bad policy leads to bad living. Like I always say, wrong doctrine leads to wrong living. Bad doctrine leads to bad living. That's why I preach the word. That's why I look around at the fellowship. And this is one of, by the grace of God, because I've been in a lot of churches through the years. It's such a healthy fellowship. We have a lot of God-fearing people that love Jesus that bring up their kids in Christ. Why? Because we preach the word. You know, I can think of the, think of the mothers in this fellowship, the dads in this fellowship. They fear God. They love God. They seek to live for him. Not perfect, but they're going forward. I think a lot of the young people in this fellowship, they love the Lord, you know, because of truth. Well, when you have bad doctrine, it leads to bad living. Or if you ignore sound doctrine, it leads to just anything goes. Well, guess what? Same thing is true in politics. When you have bad policies, it leads to destruction. So you have, for instance, here's a big one. Defund the police, right? Remember that? What's happened with a lot of the cities that champion defunding the police? They're in chaos right now. You look at different cities where there's been, where police are ridiculed. And even if they didn't enact laws or enact certain policies to defund the police, where there's just an, a, an aberrant attitude toward law enforcement because there's some bad apples. There's bad apples in every, whatever line of work you're in, are there bad apples in it? Yes or no? Every single one of us, amen? There's bad pastors. There's bad this, there's bad that, there's bad teachers, there's bad, you know, politicians. Are there getting good ones? Well, I hope, you know. 
but they're everywhere. So it's interesting, whether it's Baltimore or New York or LA, or you can go all over the, the map, you know? And it's interesting. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that if you defund the police that you're gonna have crime soaring. Amen? Because you have no fear of, because Paul says not just fear God, but he says in Romans chapter 14, you're supposed to fear those who are given authority over you. Well, they don't fear law enforcement anymore. So they just do their own thing. That's one really tragic thing that's going on. Number uh, two, uh, man, you got a government. This is not only, not only wreck people's lives morally and with law, but also it wrecks people's lives when it comes to the economy. You have the government paying people not to work. The liberal government. In fact, I was reading not too long ago, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce blamed Biden, his administration, for paying, quote, paying people not to work. That's true, it was happening. That's a really good way to ruin your economy. And hence, our economy is jacked up and we have gas prices higher than they've ever been. You ever see the, you know, you ever fill your gas and there's, the price is like way up there and it's a little tiny sticker that says Biden did this. Anybody see any of those? I did not put them up, just so you know. Just wonder if you saw them. Uh, or how about this? The government giving drugs to drug addicts. That's happened too. Policy. That's throwing gas on the fire. Oh, how about, this is a big one in New York, bail reform. Well, you know what? Let's no longer have bail. If people get arrested for a heinous crime, they don't have to pay bail. They could just, you know, get out. And we'll hope they come back eventually. And hopefully they hang around and they don't just go back and do more of it and, and they just disappear and they commit more crimes. And uh, Kathleen Hochul, governor of New York. New York is a shoo-in for governor if you're a liberal, beating the Republicans because it's such a liberal s- state. But guess what? She's actually neck and neck with the guy that she's running against, the conservative guy. Why? Because New York is going up in flames with murders. I mean, just uh, the other day, I heard in the news that in a very rich neighborhood in New York, a gal was jogging and she got raped. And the guy that raped her was arrested previously 25 times. A little slap in the hand, go back out. Who knows how long he'll get in here, six months? year or two? I don't know. I don't know if they caught him. I just saw the headline. Some, some articles I have a hard time reading. It's just so breaks your heart, you know. But just last month, October, uh, a guy was arrested for beating his wife to a pulp. It was all on videotape. Did anybody see that? You saw that? He's smashing her head over and over again. And it looks like a gym or something. For eight minutes? I just saw like a five second clip and I'm like, whoa. He's pounding her. Big old dude, man. They arrest him. He'd been arrested before for kidnapping someone, but he was out. They arrested him and they reduced what he did, even though she feared for her life and reported him and gave the film. It was, looked like it was a gym, it was from two different angles. I'm like, dude, he's big, he's pummeling her in the head. And thank God she lived. And I'm like, and he's arrested, but then, oh, no bail for you. In fact, in that case, there's, well, bail could be too expensive. Well, there shouldn't even be any bail at that point. It's all on film. He pummeled her. He got out the next morning, found her when she's taking her kids to school. She had her three kids with her, and he killed her. He executed her in front of her kids. Okay? This is wicked! 
I'm sorry, it makes my blood boil, man. They don't care for life. Another one, all kinds of liberals pushing, making, making abortion free and everything. And was it NPR or uh, National Public Radio? They aired an eight minute abortion. They did that. I went here, it, it went viral. And it was like, they thought, oh, let's air an abortion for everybody to hear what happened so they can hear, you know, and, they're, and it backfired on them. They're supposed to be, by the way, neutral, but they promote these things often. And so many people, because the girl's moaning and then she's crying, like, and, and they're trying to comfort her during her abortion and then congratulating her afterwards and so forth. But so many people said it was heart-wrenching, it was heartbreaking hearing it. And it, it went it made its way through the internet because it's just so wicked. But that's another thing that they're actually uh, promoting and that just blows me away. That's number five. How about number six? A law here in uh, California. Enacted some years ago. Where you can rip off a business or a grocery store or whatever to the tune of, you do it for nine, don't go over what? Is it, is it 950 bucks? Yeah, yeah, just don't go over this, you know, rip off something, you rip off these stores up to 950 bucks and it won't be a felony anymore. Don't worry, you won't go to jail. Is it any surprise you have what they call, what is it, uh, snatch and grab kind of thing? Smash and grab? How do you know what it's called so well? I'm just kidding, bro. <laughs> no, Mark's, Mark's straight up, brother. But smash and grab, man. <laughs> You'll see all kinds of cars lined up and they just rip off everything. Because if they get caught and they just store, business just gets destroyed, which makes all everybody else's prices go up, by the way. Sometimes people get hurt. People can get killed. And you just get a slap on the wrist. A misdemeanor. It's reduced down to misdemeanor. If you even get caught, you don't go to prison. It happens over and over again. All these policies are gas on the fire. They're just common sense. They're wrong. How about George Soros? Do you know right now we have DAs, district attorneys who are supposed to be prosecuting people that are so liberal that are being uh, fostered by George Soros, who is not even an American? And he's a billionaire. He's pouring all kinds of money in. For, he's been doing this for years and years. Pouring all kinds of money into the elections of DAs. We have run, Gascon right here is Soros funded. And people have wanted to recall him because he's so liberal. And because people that he didn't prosecute will, you know, a skateboarder from, uh, I forget the European country because it was a couple years ago. It just came to my memory. And, it, and, and he got out and they didn't prosecute him. And the way they ought to have for murder and, and so forth to being put in prison for X amount of years or whatever. And he was out real quick and, and he killed a skateboarder from another country, a pro skateboarder, just came up behind him. This guy that was out blew his brains out. A Hispanic guy, his family was in tears saying, how could they let this happen, you know? And, but George Soros is spending tons of money on all these elections everywhere to get liberal DAs dismantling our country. That's why I do think voting could be a really good idea. By the way, did you know George Soros is, a, just is he's a piece of work. I'll just say that. Uh, in Budapest, Hungary, when the Nazis went there, he was just 14 years old or so, young teenager. And at 14, his dad was very rich and he's Jewish and he saw hundreds of thousands of Jews getting deported to Nazi concentration camps. His dad, being rich, made a deal 
with somebody to be his protector and his godfather. All George Soros had to do as a teenager was go with that guy who was working with the Nazi government to confiscate the, the uh, goods of other Jewish people. And his dad went all over the, or not his dad, his godfather, he went with him all over the place and they confiscated the wealth, they confiscated the material things belonging to other Jewish people who were being deported and they got rich off it. And George Soros was 14 at the time. And I saw an interview with him on 60 Minutes, twice now. Because when I fact-checked that thing, the liberal fact-checkers come up and they say, people are saying George Soros is a Nazi, but he was 14, he was too young to be a Nazi. I'm like, maybe somebody said he was a Nazi. Maybe some of them are saying that, but you're not pointing out what he did say in the interview. I think it was Steve Croft that interviewed him. And in the interview, it's interesting because, by the way, when you type in, you go to YouTube, Google's YouTube, and you type in George Soros, Nazi, worked with Nazis, this won't, it won't come up. Other things will come up that have nothing to do with it. But if you type in, which I did this morning, is George Soros a sociopath? Then you'll see what I'm gonna tell you right now. And you might wanna write that down. Is George Soros a sociopath? to verify what I'm saying here. Uh, he's asked by the interviewer, I think it's Croft, that you went with your godfather and you helped with the confiscation of prophecy of other Jews, right? You know what he says? He nods his head and says, that's right. By the way, when he's talking about uh, people being harmed, he smiles. And it's very interesting to me that... Uh, he says of that time in Nazi Germany, when he was basically playing the turncoat against his own people. By the way, George Soros is against the state of Israel as a nation. He's a one-worlder, globalist. He says of his times uh, when, during the occupation of Budapest, Hungary, he says, it was actually the happiest year of my life, that year of German occupation. For me, for me, it was a positive uh, experience. He says, it was, happy and, uh, making, it was a happy-making, exhilarating experience. He says, that's where my character was formed. and That's where I learned to you know, see what's coming in the future and anticipate things, become this billionaire. And it's interesting because when he's asked about, don't you have remorse over things that you've done and how you, what you play with money think, or the way you use money, if I remember right, the way uh, it affects people, he says, quote, I cannot and do not look at the social consequences of what I do. Well, yeah, obviously. I think he does. It just looks, looks at him for the evil. These are people that are influence in our nation. They have influence. They have, they have power. You know, the president of El Salvador was just interviewed recently. Uh, I just saw the interview a week ago or so. I'm like, listen, do not erase that interview. He's a president of El Salvador, which was the murder capital of the world. MS-13, their gangs and everything. It's like, you know, where are you from, bro? Carlos, El Salvador, right? I mean, you got out of there because it was like that, right? Well, am I right now? This, this president right now is like one of the most popular elected officials ever because he's turned it around, am I right? I'm right, okay, praise the Lord, Carlos. I'm glad I saw you coming up, man. I'm like, there's Carlos in here. It's for El Salvador, which means the savior, by the way, El Salvador, amen? He became president. He said, man, we have these incredible problems. 
we have the, we're the murder capital of the world. And now I'm putting two different interviews together now because I went and searched out more things that he was saying because he asked to be interviewed about this. And it was 75% higher, I mean, higher than it has become because he said all the, the gangs in the prisons, they have computers, the leaders. They're the leaders that are in prison. Then they have, use have computers, they have cell phones, and they're putting hits on people everywhere. He goes, we shut that down. And we not only shut that down where they can't even speak to the outside, but if people in their gangs continue to kill, then we took their food away. We took different privileges away from them so people weren't dying left and right. And guess what? It dropped to one of the lowest murder rates in the world. And I say one of the lowest because in the interview, he said the lowest. And maybe it's the lowest, but I'm trying to be careful with my words. He said the lowest, but I'm going to say at least one of the lowest. Now, Carlos, we haven't even talked about that. Does this... But that's what's happening there in El Salvador now? Praise God. Wait a minute. You're probably going to move too then now. Amen, bro? No, no, absolutely not. Praise God. Amen. Okay, let's get that straight. Get clear that before that happens. <laughs> uh, yeah, and those gang members, I heard they all moved to Tennessee. <laughs> Love you, Tony, Cheryl. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. So... But it dropped, and it's crazy. But you know what? In the interview, this is what shocked me. He mentioned some of the things I just mentioned that are going on, that are pouring gas to the fire. He mentioned like half of those things, you know? And he said, he said to the guy that was interviewing him, he goes, he goes, the, the lawmakers that are making these laws that are hurting the country and making the crime rate rise, he says, they're not stupid people. He said, in fact, they're very smart. He goes, it's not by accident what's happening. It's by design. Now, he's a leader who's turned his country around. you think he would know, right? And here is a president of another country wanting to tell our country before the election, by the way, what's going on in your country is by design. Now, we know, the average person would say, how could it be by design? We know we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Amen? But against principalities and powers, against the rules of darkness, world spiritual wickedness in high places. Amen? It's It's demonic. Why would they want to ferment, ferment crime and so forth? Well, maybe because if there's enough crime and stuff, it would give them an excuse to take away everybody's guns. That might be one reason, right? It also gives them reason to eventually make a police state where you can't sneeze without their permission. It also uh, can diminish America as a country, so we're subsumed in a greater global government eventually. There's a lot of reasons I can think of, and you could probably think of more as well. But brothers and sisters, we as Christians need to recognize that there is a serious situation going on right now. And I want you to, in light of everything that's happening, aren't you glad that this isn't our home? Aren't you glad that Jesus says, I've chosen you out of this world and that you are not of this world, the Bible says? Well, how do you apply that to your life? You do not, the Bible says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Amen. Amen. That means you look at the tide of the world and you don't, co- you don't coalesce, you don't acquiesce, I should say, to the ways of the world. Because guess what? When you hang out in Sodom, you can become more and more like Sodom. When you go into a dark restaurant, you ever go into an Italian restaurant? How many love Italian food? Come on. Italian food's so good. Too expensive. It's too rich for me, so I don't go very often, but it's, I have to admit, it's very good. 
Yeah, I still love it, man. Taste buds like it. They're like, yeah, he's right, but hey. Uh, but you know what? You go in and it's really dark. You can barely see. Then after about five, ten minutes, all of a sudden you can see pretty good because you adjust. We have to make sure that we never adjust to the darkness that we live in. Amen? That means we need to be in prayer. Amen? That means you need to be spending time with God. That means you can't start making excuses for evil. That means you need to watch what you're, you need to apply this to your life and say, what am I watching? Is what I'm watching, is it glorifying evil? I personally, it's a strong conviction I have. There's so many movies I've noticed that are about somebody being a hitman. And they glorify it over and over and over again. There's always some spin to make him look better than the other hitman or somebody else. And it's so satanic, I'm telling you right now. Oh, I wish you wouldn't talk about these kinds of things, Joe. You know, just read a Bible verse. No, we need to actually, who told you I just watched this movie that just, I watched a whole series on different hitmen that I love? Uh, no one, I'm just saying. When you're looking at movies, I'm like, man, so many of these movies, it's the hitman that does this. It's the hitman that does that. It's the hitman that does this. I'm like, wow, people love seeing people kill people or what? For hire? Now, if there's a movie about a hitman that was a hitman, that's no longer a hitman, that doesn't want to kill people anymore, and is running from the mob and trying to save himself or something like that, maybe there's something redeeming in that. I'm not saying no movies, period. I'm saying be careful what we cheer for. Amen? Because before you know it, our own convictions could slowly be eroded. Are you with me? That we're not supposed to be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So you have to apply these truths to your lives and say, I need to be separate from that which is evil. Amen? In fact, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul had just been talking about uh, the coming judgment in chapter 3. And, and, and in chapter 5, he gets in and starts talking about it. And we don't have time to go through that because I'm saving all these, a lot of these reward passages for next week. And I was chomping at the bit to share them with you. But I realized, man, you know what? I need to talk about the election a little bit coming up. And am I the most political pastor you know or one of the most non-political pastors you know? Which one? Non-political, okay? Because it's about preaching the gospel, amen? But guess what? I live in a democratic republic and I, was still, and I always said, you need to speak to the state, amen? We need to do our job and stand against evil politicians, Amen? but we don't want to major there and stay there every time of the week and stop preaching Jesus, amen? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1, Paul says, for we know that if we, now this is interesting, for we know that if the earthly tent, what earthly tent? Are you reading it? 2 Corinthians 5, 1, for we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Brothers and sisters, you are in a earthly tent. Amen? Amen? He's talking about your physical body. Your body is compared to a tent. Amen? Paul uses this language, and he says if it's torn down, you know the Greek word he uses for torn down, what that Greek word is? It's used of tents being dismantled. The Greek word. So he's using tent language, which makes sense because Paul was a what? He was a tent maker by trade. He was an apostle but, and he was being funded to a degree, but when he needed to make some money, he'd make tents. And he's comparing our bodies to a tent because they're temporary, amen? And he wants us to remember. And then he's saying this in the context of the coming judgment, you know? He says, we have a house made not with hands, eternal in the heavens. That's the resurrected body, amen? 
This body that we have is made to the blueprint of what God made on earth and we're made from the dust. The heavenly body is going to be made from the God, God from heaven, amen? amen? With heavenly material. In fact, we'll be resurrected in these physical bodies, but they'll be glorified in a heavenly way. For indeed, in this house, he says, verse 2, we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. As much as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. In other words, when we die, to be absent from the bodies, be what? Present with the Lord. What are we at that point? We're naked physically. But we have another body that's coming, the resurrected body. How many can say hallelujah to that? That's the body right now that'll die and turn back to dust. The molecules will still be there and he'll resurrect them and glorify them. And it'll be from heaven. And we won't be naked. Do you know right now, even after you die, remember I said there's reasons even if you aren't here when Jesus comes that you're still going to have the blessed hope later? One of those reasons is, is not only because Jesus can come and reign and clean this big mess up, amen, which we're looking for and we're going to reign with him. That's a huge reason, amen. And he's going to create, make a new creation. Praise God for that. That's another praise God. Talk about ecology. Yeah, well, Jesus is going to take care of it. We have to do our part here, amen, but not worship nature, not put nature before Jesus, but put Jesus first. But what's interesting here is also when you die, you're naked physically or spiritually. Remember the souls under the altar? Remember that? And they cry out to God, how long do you avenge our, bloods, our blood on those who dwell on the earth? I mean, they're, they're praying for the second coming of Christ. How long, O oh Lord? And what he does, he doesn't give them their resurrected bodies yet. He says they're the souls, not bodies, the souls under the altar. He gives them robes. And he says, wait a little while till your, brothers suffer, your brethren suffer like you do. And they're given robes. They're still not fully clothed. They're given robes, but they're not resurrected yet. So even the dead in Christ are going to be waiting the resurrection when they're in heaven. And if you die before Christ comes, you'll be like well, a soul that's waiting for your resurrection still, looking forward to the blessed hope. Amen? Amen? Verse 4, for indeed, while we are in this tent, we're in a tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by what? Life. Wow. You know, it's in these contexts where Paul said the outer man is dying, the inner man is being renewed day by day. Here's two things to remember. You know what? It hit me because I wrote these two words next to each other. I said, Lord, for my own life, I'm going to write, I'm going to keep these two words in mind to really give me your perspective. Because when you discern things, God wants you to use discernment. How do you apply this? You discern. Am I ready to meet God? Do I, am I going to remember that my life is a tent? People worship their bodies like they're going to be here forever. But there's two extremes. Oh, our body's just a tent. It doesn't matter what you eat. It doesn't matter whether you exercise or not. It doesn't matter what you do. Just pig out and just do whatever because it's just a tent. It's, it's temporary. And people treat the earth like that too, professing Christians. That's wrong. This is God created this earth. We're supposed to be stewards over the earth. Amen? Christians ought to be the best caretakers of the earth than anyone, but not worshiping it and caring for babies in the womb first though, right? Along with the earth. But guess what? I remember we're a tent. So yeah, it is temporary. We don't worship our bodies. The Bible says in Timothy, 2 Timothy, that physical exercise is good for a little in this world, right? So it's good for a little. It's still good for you. Physically exercise, we should. And I've tried to, may not look like it sometimes, all my life, one way or another, man. Always fighting the battle of the bulge, you know. Winning more lately by the grace of God. But then there's the other thing. We're a tent, and it's, this tent is fading away. Physical exercise is good for a little bit. It says spiritual exercise is good what? Not only for this life, but it's, but it's much better, he says, but for the life to come, amen? 
Are you putting your spiritual discipline, it's about spiritual discipline, are you putting spiritual discipline before physical discipline? Come on. I'm just encouraging you. I love you guys, but how many times a week do you go to the gym and exercise and take care of your body and what have you? Are you spending that much time in the word of God? Are you praying and seeking the Lord? Are you encouraging each other in Christ? Amen? We have to grow spiritually. Amen? So I remember two things. My body's a tent. It's temporary. But also, it's not just a tent. It's easy to remember. It's also a temple. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. It belongs to God. Amen? So God does want us to take care of the temples he's given us. Amen? So may the Lord help us to do better in that regard. Amen? So remember... And do something about it, that your body's a tent, so it's not going to be there forever. And by the way, as you get older, you hit my age, it's tough being 39, you know. So when you hit 59, which I did last month or a month and a half ago now, God, time goes so fast. You realize more and more it's a tent. But you also remember it's a temple, and God wants to use your body for his glory, Amen. And it says that we're supposed to remember that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit and we're supposed to use them, it says, to glorify God because we're bought with a price. Amen? Absolutely important. Last thing by way of application. This isn't a command from Scripture, but I just want to encourage you to vote. At least pray about it. If you don't vote, pray about it. It's not a command. I just want to encourage you to consider voting if you don't vote. And if you do vote, praise God. But don't vote for I can't really say it, but you know who. Okay. Because if you vote for, man, that's not very smart. I don't know what the laws are exactly, but hey, I'm sure I might have broached some already. But uh, it's okay, because we preach Jesus, amen? We preach the gospel, and we're ambassadors here. But you know what? You do get, judgment day, you guys, is coming, and we need to be ready. Judgment day is in a few days. Not for us in the Lord coming but for a bunch of politicians, amen? Make sure you judge correctly and prayerfully and based on your moral convictions, based on the scripture, amen? But guess what? There's one vote you get that changes everything. It changes where you spend eternity, in heaven or in hell, amen? The Lord's already for you. He died for you, amen? He doesn't want you to perish. Jesus says that he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him won't perish but have everlasting life. And praise God, I love the next verse that people don't quote enough because it's just as good, I think, or close anyway. Jesus said, he, the Father didn't send the Son of the world to condemn the world, but the world through him may be saved, amen? So you can come to Jesus and be saved. He died to bring you to heaven. He voted with his blood to bring you to heaven. But Satan votes against you. It says, if our gospel is hid, it's hid because of God of this world. Satan blinds the minds of those, those that don't believe, lest the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God, should shine to them. So God's for you, Satan's against you. Is everything just predetermined to happen in a certain way or do you have a choice? You have a choice. The Bible says, choose this day whom you will serve. I love what Joshua said. It's for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. I want to encourage you right now to vote and say, Jesus, I want, to be, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Because we can't control necessarily who becomes the next president, but guess what? You can control who's going to be your Lord, God or Satan, Amen. And I choose the Lord God, Jesus Christ. Amen. And praise God. Because you win, and you win for all eternity. Amen. Amen. So if you don't know Jesus right now, recognize you're a sinner, that you deserve eternal judgment. And we're all going to stand before God. But there's a big difference 
Though we'll all be judged for our deeds, but the wicked will spend time forever in the lake of fire because of their deeds. But those who have been cleansed by the blood of Christ, guess what? Praise God for this. Your deeds will be declared, but guess what will also be declared along with your bad deeds? Forgiven. Cast from the east as far as the east is from the west. Amen? You're going to be forgiven. You may have more or less rewards, but praise God, you're going to be so happy to be there. Amen? And no one's going to have any tears. Everybody's going to be like, praise God. Amen? So make sure you've chosen Jesus because he died for your sins. He resurrected and he rose, he rose again from the grave. And if you put your trust in him, the Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen? But if you reject what he did for you on the cross, you'll pay for your sins forever and eternity. Don't let that happen. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Amen. Amen, Jim. Praise God. Let's all stand as they pass out the cup and the bread.